Welcome, everyone, to Force of Nature Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew D. Hamilton, and I'm here with my co-host... David Botcher. Terrific. Well, Dave and everybody listening, buckle up, because for this episode, we bring you another adventure from our man, Jim Corbett. I'm Jim Corbett, mother... Sweet. Hell yeah. Jim Corbett is one of my favorite people in history, and he is actually a, a huge inspiration for us even starting this show. And Dave, we have covered several of his stories. I think this is our ninth episode about him. Wow. Uh, which is really cool. And he's got a lot of great stories. Uh, Dave, uh, there is something I feel like I need to address to you. We may have been pronouncing his name wrong this whole time. Oh, really? Yeah, I, it's possible. Uh, everyone, like when I hear anybody else say it, they always pronounce it more like Corbett, not Corbett. Oh, okay. How it, like Corbett, but it's uh-huh. spelled Corbett. Like if you look at it, you're like, yeah, Corbett. But everybody else seems to be pronouncing it Corbett. But I feel like we're in too deep. And so we're just going to stick with Corbett. Okay. (laughs) We're uh, several years deep on his stuff and we've been saying it for so long. We have an audio clip that says Corbett, so I don't feel like changing it. So we're going to stick with Corbett. Sweet. Yeah. (laughs) I think both pronunciations are accepted at this point now. There we go. Thank you. Yeah. This is also the longest script I've probably ever written. It's about 20 pages, single spaced, 16 font. (laughs) Uh, Just kind of putting over how hard I worked on this one. Nice. (laughs) Yes. So uh, this story that we have for you is a very interesting one. As with all Jim's stories, uh, we we give you like a true crime feel to it, a true crime element. And people really like true crime. That's one of the biggest like podcast things that are out there is true crime. And it especially hits with women. I do not know why that is, but women love either. true crime. But have, don't you have you realized that? Oh yeah, yeah. That's what Dana listens to. Yeah, that's what yeah. your wife, my sister, they they love. Tr- I don't know what it is about true crime, but women love it. Maybe it's like teaching them like what not to do. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. uh, this is a true crime type uh, episode, and we like doing these ones. And Dave, we are going to cover the Pinar Man-Eating Leopard. Ooh. Dave, if you remember in our last Jim Corbett story, which which was a three-parter, episodes 100 to 102, we also covered a man-eating leopard called the Man-Eating Leopard of Ruta Priag. Okay. So, Dave, Jim wrote an entire book uh, dedicated to his hunt of this one particular leopard. It was in a whole book, several hundred uh-huh. pages. Uh, this leopard killed 125 people. That is a lot. Yeah. This and uh, the leopard that we had previously covered, Rude Pride, this leopard uh, was also heavily publicized during the time. It, beca- it became quite famous. This was a famous man eater, the Rude uh-huh. Priag leopard, right? Uh huh. But Dave, its kill count has nothing compared to our leopard this episode. Wow. This leopard of Pinar has killed the second most people by a single animal ever in recorded history. Oh, my goodness. In first place, uh, Dave, you should know this. Uh, who, 
what animal is in first place for the most kill, the highest kill count of all time by a single animal ever in recorded history? Champawat tiger. Very good. Very good, Dave. The Champawat tigress, as you have previously stated, as the champ. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that one. That was a good one. It was a really good one. That was a really good, and that was Jim Corbett's first uh, main man-eater kill, and we covered the entire story way back in episode 21. Long, long time ago. So long ago, yeah. Uh, But yes, this tigress, it was a female tiger, she killed 436 people confirmed. Now, this leopard, the Pinar leopard, is the second most killed 400. Wow. The second most ever. Getting the silver. crazy. Getting the silver medal of all time animal serial killers is the Panar Leopard. And ironically, even with such a high kill count, this is one of Jim's least known man eaters that he hunted. Wow, that's crazy. So we are going to cover what Jim wrote about in his tale of his hunt for the serial killing leopard. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun. Jim Corbett stories are always a favorite, and I feel like they're a favorite among our audience as well. In fact, uh, of our top 10 most hit episodes, uh, four of them are Jim Corbett episodes. Makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And the others are pretty much bears and sharks. So bears, sharks and Jim Corbett are the way to go. Just letting, <laughs> nice. if you're going to start an animal podcast, uh, Jim Corbett, sharks and bears. That's that's all you stick with and you'll be fine. <laughs> nice. Sounds like we need to make a song on that. Bears, <laughs> sharks and Jim Corbett. Listen to our podcast. That's what you'll get. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. We will. We are going to make a clip of that. <laughs> all right. So, uh. So we had uh, last episode. We hope everybody enjoyed our last episode about ravens. Quoth the raven nevermore. And uh, Dave, we really enjoyed covering ravens. I enjoyed it so much that I just got a raven tattoo. (laughs) Yeah, you did. Dave, you're looking at it. I'm showing you right now. Yep. Yep. He imprinted ravens into our minds and onto his skin. Uh, it is in my skin. I in, I I really enjoyed learning about ravens so much that it, it's funny how it clicks because I also have a saber tooth cat or a smilodon tattoo. And because when I covered that, I was just so into it and I just it just clicked. I'm like, I'm getting something like that. And I want to do an animal um, collage on my arm or my arms even. And when uh, we covered the ravens, it's like I'm. It just clicked. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. But uh, I I loved learning about ravens so much that I felt like getting it put on my body. (laughs) So, like I said, it's hard to explain why it just clicks. But uh, ravens are so cool. And we've we have never covered an animal with so much mythology and folklore to them. And we uh, I loved how intelligent they are. It was just it was one of my favorite episodes that we've done. And so. Uh, if you haven't uh, listened to it yet, please go back and listen to it. It was kind of more of a Halloweenish vibe to it because they are, a, you know, kind of a Halloweenish animal. Yeah, uh, they're they're really cool. So yeah, please go back and check out Ravens. 
if you haven't yet. And then, uh, Dave, we also put out a bonus episode about Fat Bear Week. Yep. And that's one of Dave's favorite uh, favorite things to cover. So like we, we cover yeah. Fat Bear Week. And then we also cover, not just that, we cover a, a grizzly bear attack story in Canada that killed two people. So, if you haven't listened to the bonus episode, go back and check that out as well. All right, Dave. Well, we are joined in the studio by everyone's favorite dickhead, Cheetah, (laughs) and Rainbow Trout Duo, who are fresh off vacation that they never invited me to. So let's hear from Cheetor. Good evening, gentlemen. Wow, Dante and I had the best vacation. We went on a cruise to the Caribbean, seven days on a ship, relaxing, sipping on pina coladas and sangria, an open buffet at all hours. They had zebra, gazelle, wildebeest, you name it. Uh, As the kids say, cruises are dope. Yeah, yeah, you guys know how much I enjoy cruises, and you didn't even invite me or even tell me that you were leaving. Matt, my dude. We had a great time, if that makes you feel any better. I don't know why you having a great time without me would make me feel any better, Dante. (sighs) Dave, you try having two wild animals in your home. Oh, boy. (laughs) I don't know if I'd want to. I thought you'd love the reprieve. Uh, I haven't gone for so long. You've got teenagers, but same, same. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, do you know what makes me feel better, though, Dave, is all the listeners. We want to thank all the listeners from around the world for joining us. I like to think that we have a cult like following of wonderful people. So thank you very much. And be sure to go to Apple. Give us five stars. Say something you like about the show. If you listen on Spotify or any other platforms, give us five stars, you know, and then tell your friends and build us up even more. Uh, Dave, we really do have uh, wonderful fans that listen to us. Uh, I can't, oh, I can't ones, yeah. say that enough. I love our fans. They're so cool. Yeah. All right, Dave. So before we get into the actual story, I feel it necessary to give a refresher about Jim Corbett since it's been a while since we have covered him. Okay. I could pretty much sum it up. He's awesome. He's awesome. Hell yeah, <laughs> dude. Jim Corbett's so cool. Okay, so he is a certified badass, obviously. <laughs> yep. uh, and yeah. like I said, one of, he's literally one of my favorite people in history. And I, don't get me wrong, I do have a degree in history, if anybody was wondering. Yep. Jim Corbett's still the dopest person in history, in my opinion. He's like the uh, stereotype safari guy that you think of. Like tall, slender. Rocking a mustache and khaki everything, baby. High socks, short shorts, button-up shirt, a little tie, and like an English-style sportsman hat. Like, when you think of a stereotypical safari-type person, it's him. It's Jim. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Fear? What's that? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And he he reminds me a lot of the uh, hunter from the Jumanji from the 90s. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, He reminds me of him a bit, but Jim was way cooler. Yeah. Uh, and so he, he's a British man who grew up in India, if you remember in history. So Britain ran India from 1858 to 1947. Uh, so he was Brit. He was British living in India. He was a hunter, a tracker, a naturalist, an author, an environmentalist, among many other things. And after his hunting career, he chose to shoot animals with a camera, not a gun. 
However, what he is best known for is hunting man-eating tigers and leopards. And we have covered several of his tiger stories and also the other leopard, the one of Ruta Priag. All of Jim's stuff is still, like I said, we've said it before, uh, my favorite stuff that we've done. Yeah. He is the he is a huge inspiration why we started this show. Yeah. Uh, Jim killed around a dozen man eaters in his career and the total number of uh, people that were killed by these man eaters is around twelve hundred. Wow. That's so much. And if you combine, well, Dave, get this. If you combine the Champawat Tigress and our topic this episode, the Pinar Leopard, that's uh, over 800. That's, that's 836 good. just right there from two of the man eaters. That's three fourths of all of the man eaters. Wow. That's crazy. Hell yeah, that's so cool. Jim's awesome. And and, and when he was hunting the, the man eaters, if you remember, Dave, he was offered payment by the government, but he never accepted payment. He didn't yeah, want he didn't to want be blood money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't want to be considered as a bounty hunter. Jim had a, a moral compass that he stood by. Which yeah. was, uh, was one thing that I really like about him. So he was a hunter, but loved and understood um, the animals and the nature around him. He hunted these man-eating tigers and leopards, n- not to just hunt them. He hunted them as a service for the Indian people. Yeah. And now, like uh, most of his stories happen in very rural early 1900s in India. So when there was a known man eater in the area, the village, uh, the villagers literally thought this was the devil. This is an evil spirit. Uh, Hindus are. Yeah. Hindus are known to be very superstitious as well. But think about it. These are serial killers. Yeah, these are serial killing animals that are taking out villagers left and right. Could be your your uh, your wife, could be your dad, could be your uncle, could be anybody. They are doing that in these rural villages. So we have to we always have to remember that. Uh, And as much as we love tigers, which dude, tigers are so cool, huh? Oh, yeah. We love tigers. We love leopards. And believe me, we really do. Some, however, sometimes they can be scary monsters. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, think about it. There was, there's probably thousands, maybe I wouldn't know, tens of thousands, maybe of of uh, leopards or, and tigers around the area. And yet, um, you know, think about it. All of a sudden, they've got one that just starts killing them off one by you know one by one up to 400 you know 400 on each of those it's a so, yeah, insane number there's something wrong even though they can eat humans it's not it's not as common as you would think you know it's so when you got one that's just taking everybody down yeah i can understand why you'd be like there's a, it's a bad spirit or it's a it's a devil you know what i mean yep so that's you gotta crazy. you have to think in the mind sometimes during our gym episodes you have to kind of think what these people are feeling about these tigers, you know, like people, I don't want to shoot a tiger, but if this tiger is killing 400 plus people, it's got to go. Yeah. So in other, in other stories of his that we have covered, there is normally a reason why a tiger or leopard turned into a man eater, right, Dave? 
Yeah. So the Champawat tigress, uh, who killed 436, when she was killed, we found out that her canines were completely worn down uh, and broken. And she was old and she had uh, previously been shot. I believe that she had been like uh, shot with a buckshot in her paw, if I remember right, by a shotgun. And uh, she couldn't really hunt her normal prey. And what's easy to hunt? Humans. Yeah. Then I think of our... <laughs> if, okay, we're going to cover some of our man-eaters. Then if you think of our other man-eating tigers uh, from Jim Corbett's stories, uh, when Jim shot them, they were found with... Dave, do you remember? I don't. It's been a long no. time, so I don't... Fr- yeah. I, porcupine quills. Oh, boy. Okay. Do you remember that? Yeah. Some of the tigers that... Jim shot were found with porcupine quills covered all over them. They couldn't get them off. Uh, this is believed to led them to hunting, uh, hunting humans because they couldn't hunt their normal prey. You got porcupines stuck all up in your face. Yeah, Tigers can't. It's they don't have hands, <laughs> you know, and uh, it's just a uh, porcupines. Dude, porcupines might be the real devil animals <laughs> I know, right? turning tigers into man eaters yeah uh, so when it comes to our panar leopard it is believed to have turned into a man eater for a very different reason something we have never covered before which i will eventually get into oh okay however uh i recently came across a new reason that i had never known before on why a bit large cat might turn into a man-eater i could give you about a million guesses dave i don't think you'd get you would get it so i'm just gonna tell you okay okay salt oh human blood contains more salt than most animals Oh, I don't know about you, Dave. I like salt. Do you like salt? (laughs) Yeah, I guess I do. So like humans, animals also like salt and they crave salt. It's uh, it's big in the animal. Salt is a huge thing in the animal world. There's cave elephants that will go to caves just to lick the cave so they can get some of that that sweet, sweet salt, baby. Yeah, they'll put uh, salt rocks in in some of their... uh... Um, exhibits in the zoos, you know, so they have a source of salt. Very good. Yeah, Dave, that was a good job. But um, maybe our salty blood tastes really good to them. So, like I said, yeah, we got some salty blood on us, guys. So our delicious salty blood is could also be a reason for these cats to turn into man-eaters. Hey, maybe that will help us uh, not eat as much salt then. Maybe. I don't want to get eaten by a tiger. I'll eat less salt now. Finally, I'll listen to my doctor. <laughs> I, I mean, like that tiger is still going to kill you, but you know, like, I don't want that tiger to uh, enjoy it as much. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but um, this is a theory. This is not a. Uh, it's not a fact. It's a theory. So, but it does make sense. Yeah. So that was a recent thing I had learned. So I just wanted to put that out there. So let's get back to Jim a little bit. Jim was an excellent tracker and hunter. And to this day, he is still admired and well-respected, especially in India. He's, I mean, they made, they uh, named a uh, national park after him. It's Jim Corbett National Park in India. 
which has still has one of the highest tiger populations in the world. Nice. And then, uh, yeah, so I, I could put over Jim all day, obviously, but uh, he yeah. was really big on conservation and he protected India's animals. Uh, even Dave, if you remember one subspecies of tiger, the Indo-Chinese tiger is named Panthera tigris corbetti. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So they they named a subspecies of tiger after Jim Corbett. That's nice. how that's how big he is involved into all of this. And like I said, I could put him all over all day. And I really think he was just a really cool and a genuinely good person. If you want to learn even more about him, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to episode 20, where we uh, learn all about him and his life. Yeah. Then go and listen to episodes 21, 44, 74, 75, and then 100 through 102. Uh, I absolutely love when we cover him. And in fact, let Dave, I love it so much. Let's play that clip again, baby. I'm Jim Corbett, mother. Still one of our best sound clips, too. That and rabies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So when getting into this story of the Panar Maneater, it's quite interesting. And I have Jim Corbett's omnibus. So it's like uh, all it's three of his books in one. And okay. in one of his books, like I said, he uh, he has the whole story of the Ruta Priag leopard that killed 125. This one was covered. Uh, see, it was a whole book of one leopard that killed 125. Now, the story of this Panar leopard, this story only covers 23 pages in one of his different books. Ah. And this leopard killed 400. You'd think it would have, you think it would be more covered if it was with such an extreme death count. Yeah. And you also might be surprised that a leopard has that many kills a lot of our audience like leopards are dangerous we've covered them uh well you might be surprised that a leopard would have that many kills well leopards are just as dangerous as tigers you could argue even more dangerous yeah so dave here's a stat from 1875 to 1912 around 12,000 people are said to have been killed by leopards wow and I cannot confirm that, but that is that's what Wikipedia says. So okay. just letting you know. And you know, for us, think about it. Uh, for us, it's a hundred plus years removed, and we are not in rural India. That sounds absolutely insane. Yeah. However, for people there and then, it was a fact of life. Yeah. Now, when I research Jim's stories, the majority of information is directly from his book, which I do put into my own words as he wrote kind of old timey British, you know, uh -huh. and a lot of the he states a lot of places and a lot of them are really hard to pr pronounce correctly. So I I turn Jim Corbett's stories into my own words. That's what we've always done. Now, in the in the book, Jim, for some reason, doesn't cover some things, particularly why this leopard turned into a man eater. So I did use additional sources to figure some other things out. Just okay. letting everybody know. All right, Dave, we put up we put over Jim Corbett a lot. We love Jim. Like I said, I, I could put him over all day, man. He's, he's one of my favorite 
people in all of history. Super cool. What do you say we get into the story? Let's do it. All right. While Jim was hunting for the Champawat tigress back in 1907, he had heard of a man-eating leopard that was terrorizing the inhabitants of the villages in the Kumeyaan region in northern India, which is now very close, actually, to Jim Corbett National Park. Oh. Uh, Jim says that no mention is made in government records of man-eaters until 1905. And it would appear that until the advent of the Champawat tigress and the Pinar leopard, man-eaters of Kumeyaan were unknown. Kumeyaan is a region in northern India. Okay. When these two cats killed 836 people, the presence of man-eaters forced the government to take action. However... There was really no way to do this other than appealing to a handful of sportsmen. Jim says that he was as ignorant of man-eaters as anyone, and that he succeeded in this hunt was entirely due to luck. Okay. Remember, remember that. He's, he says it himself. This hunt for this leopard is in due... And the the success for this leopard is due entirely to luck. Remember that. Okay. So when Jim returned to his home in Nainatal after killing the Champawat tigress, he was asked by the government to turn his attention to the Pinar leopard and hunt it and hunt it down. Right before he was about to take off to the region. Uh, to hunt the leopard, he was urgently asked to now hunt for the Mukhtazar tiger, which had established its own reign of terror. Dave, we covered this tiger back in episode 75. Oh, did we? Okay. I, I, I doubt you remember, and that's fine if, if you don't. I had to look it up as well. But uh, this tiger killed 24 people. That's pretty low in our... Uh, <laughs> in our... Yeah. Uh, uh, man-eaters that Jim hunted. However, Jim was able to hunt this tiger in probably his quickest hunt. This was his 72-hour hunt. Oh, wow. So, yeah, go back and check out episode 75. You can learn more about this particular hunt. So, after successfully killing the uh, Muktazar man-eater, he now finally turns his attention to the Panar leopard. Okay. The leopard operates in a region called Almora, a smaller area, but still in the Kumeyaan region. And Jim had not been into this region before. So now we are continuing this story and we are going to April 1910. Okay. Now, Dave, I guess that means we need we need to go back in time, right? Oh, yep. In order for us to do this, we need to dust off our time machine. So Jim, he goes and meets with the deputy commissioner of Almora. And I hope I'm saying that right. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Anyway, he had lunch with the deputy who gave him information and gave him some maps of the region. Now, when when leaving the deputy... The deputy asked Jim if he had considered all the risks and prepared for them by making his will. (laughs) 
Oh, boy. Uh, it's kind of an om- om- ominous way to say goodbye and good luck to somebody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so now Jim, he set out for the leopard, and he's accompanied by one servant and four other men to help him with his equipment. And they are, they from, from there, they hike about 14 miles, and with the sun setting, they make camp at an abandoned building on the road. They were still many miles from where the man-eaters hunting grounds were. So they make camp and his men start to cook a fire. Jim is just kind of chilling. He's smoking a cigarette and uh, his servant laid a leg of mutton near the fire. Mutton is sheep, by the way. Yeah. And they attend, you know, the servants are going to cook Jim some dinner with the, the sheep leg. So he's attending the fire. Now Jim sees the head of a leopard come out of the jungle. Oh. Jim watches the leopard. As soon as his servant stepped a few feet away from the mutton, the leopard goes in and grabs it. Whoa. And takes it back into the jungle. The man, his man uh, thought it was a dog and he started chasing it. And then realized it was a leopard and realized he had no chance of catching it. (laughs) And what would he do if he did? Nobody knows. But uh, Jim actually found this really funny and was laughing at the whole situation. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. His servant said in an aggravated voice, this is a quote, "It, it was your dinner that the leopard carried away and I have nothing else for you to eat. (laughs) <laughs> that, that that'll get him to stop laughing, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> However, the he was able to make Jim a, a meal despite the leopard taking his mutton. He was able to figure something out. So the nice. the leopard was not the Panar leopard that they were after, and Jim knew that, which is why he let it all happen. I feel like Jim Jim has a pretty good sense of humor too. Yeah, to add to his coolness, right? Yeah. All right. So, yeah, that was a separate leopard that stole his leg of meat, leg of mutton. Anyway, so the next day they continue and they reach the border of where they know the man eater operates. So Jim and his men, they spend the night and the following morning, uh, Jim goes from village to village for news of the man eater and searching. So he's searching for pug marks. You remember what those are, Dave? No, I don't remember. Footprints. Okay. So he's looking for footprints. Okay. It is now evening, and Jim approaches an isolated homestead of a single stone built slate roofed house situated in a few acres of cultivated land. And on the path leading to the home, he finds pug marks of a large male leopard. Okay. As Jim approaches the house, a young man, probably around 22 years old, sees Jim and runs toward him, and he is sobbing. This man is in great distress. Dave, you ready to find out why this young man is in great distress? Yeah. This is so this in uh, Jim's writings in the book. This is the only major attack that Jim details in his book. Oh. The man tells Jim of what happened the night before. The man and his wife were sleeping on the floor of the one-room house. She is only about 18 years old. Gee. 
They left the door slightly open as it was April and it's really hot outside. Really hot and humid. Even at night. So the Pinar man-eating leopard snuck into the home. And as we've learned in other stories, leopards are incredibly stealthy animals. Yeah. So the leopard snuck up to the woman, grabs her by the throat, dragging her and is it literally dragging her back outside. With a strangled scream, the woman flung her arm and hits her husband, and he realizes in a flash what is happening. Imagine waking up to that. Gee, yeah. It's probably pitch black. Probably pitch black. And the leopard has his wife by the throat about halfway out the door. The man grabs one of her arm one of her arms. And uses the other arm and leg at the door frame, trying to pull her back as leverage, right? It's a tug of war. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Uh, In the tug of war, the unfortunate woman uh, with, yeah, the leopard uh, drove one of its claws into the woman's chest. And dug deep. It pretty much, yeah, you can picture what happens. In the final struggle, the claws rip through her flesh, making four deep cuts in her chest. So uh, the man, however, the man was able to jerk his wife out of the leopard's jaws back inside the home and quickly shuts the door. For the rest of the night, the man and his wife cowered in the corner while the leopard tried breaking down the door. Gee. Obviously, Dave, the woman is seriously wounded. And then in the hot, unventilated room, the woman's wounds quickly turn septic. And by the morning, her suffering and fear had rendered her unconscious. Now, throughout the day, the man, he uh, remained with his wife, too frightened to leave her for fear of the leopard would return to finish her off and too frightened to face the mile long walk through the jungle to his closest neighbor. Oh, put your guy, put yourself in this guy's situation, right? What would you yeah. do? I don't know. It's tough. Yeah. So as day was ending, Jim just kind of happened to come across the distressed man. And well, now we know why he was distressed. Pretty crazy story, huh, Dave? Yeah. So we're back at with Jim. Jim sees the unconscious woman laying in the home. Her wounds were septic and the chances of her surviving were extremely low. Jim is now faced with a difficult situation. So he has no medical aid to give to the woman. And the nearest place to get proper aid was back in Almora, 25 miles away. So Jim, he could go He could go back himself and, you know, try to retrieve aid. But that could mean that the leopard would return to the house. And Jim didn't think that the man could handle that. Oh, yeah. So he's looking out for the safety of the man. He kind of knows what's going to happen to the the wife. Oh, yeah. So instead of going for help, he he decides to spend the night with them. 
Okay. So Jim writes in his book, this is a quote, okay? Yeah. I very sincerely hope that no one who reads this story will ever be condemned to seeing and hearing the sufferings of a human being or of an animal that has had the misfortune of being caught by either a, a leopard or tiger and not having the means other than a bullet of alleviating or of ending the suffering. Ooh. Pretty dark. Yeah. So pretty much saying, uh, unless you had a gun to take yourself out, that's that's what he's saying, right? It's horrific. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Jim is going to spend the night at their home. He's going to spend the night with a distressed man and a dying woman. And good chance that a man-eating leopard will try to break in. Now, wow. night was soon approaching. The smell of the home was too much for Jim. You know, you have a, a woman, she's septic, oh, yeah. and there's no ventilation. So Jim actually opted to sit in a small cleared space, basically on the front porch of the home. Gee. And he told the man to go in, in with his wife. And the man said, this is a quote from the book, the leopard will surely kill you, and then what will I do? Jim tells him to close the door and wait for morning. Jim does have his rifle, just to let you know. He he has a gun on him, so Okay. Otherwise that he would be an insane person. <laughs> so uh Jim is sitting basically on the front porch and is uh, he waits as the sky darkens into night. It's a near full moon, giving Jim with at least a little bit of moonlight in order to see. And within an hour, within an hour, he hears the loud calls of a jackal. So uh, an alarm call for for, uh, for when there is danger in sight. That's what a jackal will do. Okay. Minutes dragged by. The jackal stops calling. The moon rose over the hills, giving Jim uh, sufficient light. There is no movement to be seen anywhere, and the only thing he hears is the agonizing breath from the dying woman inside. Oh. Now, there was a good chance that this leopard would come back, right? Uh-huh. It does not. Fortunately oh, okay. for Jim and the couple, uh, nothing happens this night. The leopard does not return. But man, what a long night that would have been. Yeah. Just waiting. Can you imagine just waiting for a man-eating leopard and it killed 400 people just waiting for it with only a little bit of moonlight to see? Gee, yeah. Our, our guy, Jim Corbett, he is a brave dude. Yeah. And he has, at this point, barely eaten anything for 24 hours and has spent the last 12 hours sitting down uh, awake all night. Wow. So Jim takes off that morning, telling that the man, telling the man that he will send aid for his wife, which he does. However, by the time aid arrived at, at the home, her suffering had already ended. She died from her wounds from the leopard. Oh. So she, I don't know if she's like uh, 398. I don't know what number her she is, but. Oh, okay. So we're going to take a quick break from the story. Pretty crazy so far, huh, Dave? Oh, yeah. 
Like we've said, leopards are amazing. And if you remember the uh, Ruta Pryag story, that leopard would sneak into a fa- into a home, a family's home, and did would do some do it uh, very similar. Uh, grabbed a woman by the throat while everyone was sleeping and tried dragging her out of a window. Yeah. And uh, it, this part of the story, it was unsuccessful in taking her. It was stopped by her husband, but I'm pretty sure she ended up dying from wounds as well. That's so, crazy. yeah, leopards. We love leopards. Leopards are awesome. They can also be scary monsters. Yeah. All right. So, Dave, we're going to shake off that crazy story. And now we're going to catch back up with Jim. So Jim went on a bit of a hiatus. Uh, He ended up going back to his home area and doing other things. And it wasn't until... So that was April of 1910. And now we're going to go back to September of 1910. Okay. And that is when Jim goes back to hunt the Pinar leopard. Okay. So that is where we're going to pick up now, okay? Okay. Now, in his book, Jim is going to tell us why this leopard that killed 400 people is much lesser known than the Ruta Pryag leopard. So this is, but this is Jim's words himself. Okay. As far as he was aware, there was no mention of the Panar leopard in the Indian press. The Panar leopard was credited with having killed 400 human beings against 125 killed by the Ruta Pryag leopard. And the fact that the Pinar leopard received such little publicity while the Ruta Pryag was headline news all over India was due entirely to the fact that the Pinar leopard operated in a remote area far from the beaten path. Now, if you remember, the Ruta Pryag leopard operated in an area that was a pilgrimage area for some Hindus, where 60,000 pilgrim, it would have 60,000 pilgrims each year. Okay. It was this that made the Ruta Pryag leopard so famous, though it caused far less human suffering than our Panar leopard. Okay. All right. So on September 10th, Jim once again sets out for the leopard, uh, again having a servant and four other men. Now, Jim intended to go to the home where the woman had died, but before leaving Nainatal, he ran into a man that he knew. It's a mason. He was a mason named uh, Panwa. Now, Panwa knew the area well and asked if he could join Jim until they get to his village, which is in the leopard's area. Okay. So Panwa joins them and changed Jim's mind in going on a different direction. They travel a good distance and arrive in a village called... Shit. <laughs> Ch- <laughs> Ch- Ch- Chakita. What do, what do you think? Chakatai. Sure. Chakati. Chakati. Yeah, that sounds that sounds about right. All right. Good job, Dave. (laughs) And so they arrive in this village where they meet the headman, which basically meaning the head of the village. And uh, the headman informed Jim that they that there had been a recent killing by the leopard a few days ago on the other side of the Panara River. 
So it's named after mm. a river. Jim told them uh, they should be safe on this side of the river as it was flood season, meaning the river is high. And Jim thinks that leopard would not cross the the river at this time. And then so the headman offered Jim and his men rooms to stay in. So Jim, uh, he stays in a room. He's very tired from the long trek to get up there. And he quickly fell asleep. In the morning, when on hearing a slight sound, Jim wakes up and sees something on his floor. It's a leper. No, I don't mean leopard. It is a man with leprosy. Oh, wow. It is a man around 50 years old who is in the last stage of leprosy. And so leprosy is a disease that has been around for centuries. I'm not going to do a deep dive into disease as there's way too much to cover. But leprosy is not something you want to get. It's very it's a very long lasting disease that will eventually kill you. But it might it might take decades. And uh, you've, you've we've probably all heard of leprosy. Yeah. And the stigmatization that comes with it. You're pretty much a cast out from society if you are considered a leper. Yeah. Anyway, uh, well, you don't want to really wake up to somebody with an infectious disease, right? So Jim wakes up and uh, apparently his room, apparently this was that man's room and it was being used by the man. So when he saw Jim in his bed, he just decided to sleep on the floor near him. (laughs) So Jim wakes up and like, okay, I can see that you have leprosy. And he uh, very quickly left and his, uh, he quickly left. And then he begins the next stretch to find the leopard. Uh, Jim said he had never felt as unclean as he had that morning. And so at the first stream, he called a halt and went down to the stream with a bar of soap and washed all his clothes and scrubbed himself like he had never before. He said, Oh, wow. Makes sense. Yeah. You find all these like little uh, sub stories in all these Jim Corbett adventures, which is really cool. Yeah. Like, yeah, man with leprosy. Yeah, that's a weird thing to run into. And leprosy was a kind of a thing in that area of India. Okay. Like I said, we're not going to do a dive into leprosy, but it's a it's something it's not something you want. Yeah. So, uh, so when Jim, after Jim had, uh, washed himself, uh, and they were sent with a guide. So the head man of that, uh, village sent a guide with them after he had put him in a room with lep- a dude with leprosy. <laughs> uh, he sent a, a guide with them and this guide is a man. He's about four, six. Oh, wow. Just a, just a little guy. And he doesn't say much. So Jim asked the guide if they had any stiff climbing to do. The the guide opened up his hand and said, as flat as that. Nice. Uh, The guide was full of crap because (laughs) (laughs) they continued climbing valleys up and down uh, for miles. Definitely not as flat as your hand. (laughs) (laughs) So now, uh, if you remember, I said Jim has a guy with him named Panwa, right? Yeah. So Panwa was carrying around some gifts for his family to return with. Uh, One item he had, it was for him. It was a uh, coat made of heavy, dark material. Uh, It's a pretty, it's a nice coat. Let's just say that. And the man, uh, Panwa, 
uh, he told the guide that since he was making him climb all the hills, he told the guide to carry his coat. And so the guide, the four foot six guide did, and he strapped it to his back and carried it. And so <laughs> after a very difficult journey, uh, they finally reached the Panar River and the river is in flood. And Jim didn't like the looks of crossing it. However, the guide okay. assured them it was perfectly safe. So <laughs> the, the guide that said it's level. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's that's adding to this. So the river was about four, 40 yards wide and kind of running pretty hot, running strong. Right. It's a, mm. it's a it's a river during flood season. So Jim links arms with some of his men, including Panwa, and they begin crossing the river. And so the guide is behind them. He's not linked with them. And they are in about thigh deep water. You know, it's, it's running pretty good. But uh-huh. Jim looks back and sees that the four foot six guide is having more trouble than them. The water is well over his waist. And the guide, he loses balance and falls into the river. Oh, boy. Starts running down. And uh, Jim was not in any position to be able to help the guide. However, Panwa, he was. He sprinted out of the river and onto the bank where he went about another 50 yards further. He laid on a rock. And when the drowning guide got close, Panwa grabbed the guide by the hair and pulled him out of the river. Oh, wow. So you can picture that, right? Yeah. Uh, when they get back to Jim and the others, Jim praised Panwa for saving the little man at great risk to his own. Panwa looks back at Jim and says, it was not his life I wanted to save, but my new coat that was strapped to his back. <laughs> so, so <laughs> okay, Panwa is like the solid Indiana Jones. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> He's great. Yeah, Panwa just wanted his coat back, so he saved the little guy. <laughs> nice. And it's, it's kind of just this funny side story that Jim talks about in the book, which See? it is funny. Yeah. So in just another five miles, Panwa, uh, he has reached his desired location and uh, now leaves Jim. Okay. And he also takes the guide with him to who is too afraid to cross the river again to go back home. <laughs> I don't know about you, Dave, but I, I wouldn't mind like a buddy film about Panwa and the four foot six guide. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Could be fun, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's a fun little side story. So. Yeah. So now we're back with Jim and his men, and they continue to a small village called Sonoli, maybe, where the uh, last known leopard kill had been made. OK. They are now deep inside the man eaters territory. So when arriving to uh, Sonoli. The villagers were overjoyed to see Jim. And we've seen that before with Jim stories. Yeah, they they love to see him because they know that he's going to try to hunt down that evil spirit, the devil who they haven't who has killed so many people. Yeah. While food was being prepared, Jim spoke with the men of the village and they had told him that between March and April this year, there had been four killings by the man eater. Oh, all four were killed at night 
and some were carried 500 yards into a several-acre area of brushwood forest. Okay. That'll come into, um, we'll cover that in a minute, but uh, where the leopard had eaten, the leopard was just could just eat them at their leisure, for the villagers had no firearms and were too afraid to try and retrieve the dead bodies. Oh. Now, now, the last kill had taken place six days ago, and the informants of the village believed the leopard to still be in this uh, couple-acre-long brushwood. Okay. It's kind of like thicker jungle is what to think of, yeah. okay? Yeah. So, Jim purchased two young male goats in a, at a nearby village. Uh, Jim took the smaller goat and tied it at the edge of the path of brushwood to test if the leopard was around. Okay. Now, normally, Jim would go up into a tree and watch over the goat in case the leopard came and maybe get a shot off, right? Uh Uh-huh. However, at this particular spot, there were no sufficient trees, and it was a really cloudy night, not giving him uh, any light. There's no chance of that happening. Oh, okay. So he ties that goat down there, and then he ties the second goat in an open platform area inside the village. I I kind of picture of it it as like a gazebo. Okay, yeah. Does that make sense? So he yeah. kind in like the middle of the village, uh, like a gazebo in the middle of the middle of the village. He tied uh, the other goat there, and he is actually going to spend the night there. Okay. Uh, hope hoping that the leopard will take one of the goats instead of a person if it's nearby. Yeah. Jim stayed awake nearby and kept hearing the goats, thinking the leopard may not be here. He fell asleep and hoped for the best. (laughs) Nice. Well, it had rained that night, and when Jim woke in the morning, he saw the nearby goat was just chilling there grazing, so that goat's fine. Okay. And so he has breakfast in the village, and, you know, after that, he went to go see the other goat. Well... The other goat was gone. Oh, boy. Well, since it had rained, there were no pug marks. Oh. Uh, But that doesn't matter, as the leopard must have taken the goat into the dense patch of brushwood. That's what Jim thinks. He can't, he doesn't know for sure, but he, he's, he, he, using his intellect, he believes that's what happened. So the leopard is there. He is nearby the leopard. Now, Jim speaks with the men in the village, consulting them about the surrounding countryside, kind of learning more about the territory, uh, learning more about the area that he's going to cover and into the brushwood and and stuff like that. So he eventually goes into the brushwood himself, armed with his rifle, and finds that finds what remains of the goat. He finds he finds the carcass of the goat. Okay. And it's literally just hooves, horns, and part of its stomach that are left. Oh, gee. Leopard had eaten the rest. So now Jim is attempting to stalk and find the leopard in this brushwood using calls of the jungle birds to inform him of the leopard's movements. Wow. And if you remember, we've talked about how Jim is really in-depth with uh, being able to do something like this. Remember, he used... To, if you remember, Dave, we talked about how uh, Jim would make leopard sounds. Uh-huh. And, like, there was, like, another sportsman who was, like, 
trying to hunt Jim because he thought it was a leopard. Yeah. So Jim is, uh, this is his forte. He's really good at using the sounds of the jungle and knowing to know what's going on. All right. So another question you might ask is, is why doesn't Jim uh, get all the men from the village and do a beat? If you remember what a beat is, that's where um, all the men line up in a, like not single file, but like a crosswise. And they all um, storm this uh, patch of wilderness or whatever. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, you might. Yeah. Why wouldn't he get all the men and in a line and try to force the leopard out of this brushwood? Well, Jim said that it would be too dangerous for as soon as the leopard knew it was being driven into the open ground, it would turn around and attack. So this uh, doing a beat, which is what Jim has done in several of our stories in order to chase a leopard or tiger out uh he says it's not going to work here the situation just doesn't work so that's why he doesn't do it okay okay so jim returns to the village after another unsuccessful attempt to shoot the leopard while he was in the brushwood so a little later jim so like a day later jim he, he actually gets sick he gets sick with a fever and that takes him out for like two days. Wow. I wonder if he was nervous. It was leprosy coming on. <laughs> <laughs> there was a, there's no leprosy uh, <laughs> for Jim. He, he, he was able to scave it. So it's fine, but he was, it, you know, he was getting a fever. You can get sick in the jungle, dengue or dengue fever, or whatever else. If a bug bites you. Yeah. So he gets sick and he's out for like two days. He, you know, that happens. And so when the fever passes, he is able to continue the hunt. And while Jim was sick, his men tied the second goat to the exact same spot of the last one, but the leopard never touched it. Ah, interesting. So Jim is hopeful that the leopard would now be hungry again. You know, every like three ish days, a leopard will go and try to get some, uh, get a meal. Okay. So uh, Jim examines, you know, the uh, area and about 100 yards from where the first goat was killed, there was a sufficient tree, a large oak tree about uh, 15 foot up, 15 feet high up in the tree was a branch uh, that was about a foot thick and that he knew he could sit on. Jim's a, a mastermind at sitting on trees like Jim's a mastermind of being uncom- in uncomfortable seating situations like up in trees. And he does it for days at a time sometimes. Yeah. So uh, it's not a comfortable seat by any means, but he and his men got everything situated. They did a bunch of work to make it uh, so Jim was able to sit on that tree branch on this very evening. Nice. So now Jim, he is just sitting on the branch only facing one direction and using the blackthorn shoots that are connected to the ground to kind of hold on for balance. Can you draw oh. a picture? You have an idea what I'm going for? Yeah. Okay. Are they, are, are they thorny? Maybe. Black I don't know. Thorn shoots. I don't know. 
Blackthorn shoots is what he said in the book. So yeah. take that with whatever you want. He's he's up in a tree about 15 feet high, and he's using some shoots to remain on balance. Draw wow. a picture with that. So it's getting dark around five that evening. Jim is up in his uncomfortable tree, and he hears some jungle birds and recognizes that something might be nearby. And he tells his men who are still around to go back to the village. He wants to be on his own. And the men were quite happy to do this, as you can imagine. (laughs) So he, uh, he tied that other goat into uh, the middle of an open area. Not where the last goat was, but like a hundred yards away. So he has an, uh, opportunity for a shot is what he's going for if the leopard attacks the goat okay okay now jim knows it's going to be a very dark night and in times of unfavorable light he actually arms himself this night with a 12 bore 12 gauge double barrel shotgun loaded with slugs so he's not using his normal rifle okay uh, he believed there was a better chance of him hitting the leopard with a shotgun over a rifle in these dark conditions. Okay, makes sense, right? Yeah. All right, so he even like uh, ties a stripe of white cloth around the muzzle of the gun to kind of help him in the dark with accuracy. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. So he's got a 12-gauge double-barrel shotgun. With slugs, that's a powerful weapon. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, he's sitting up in the tree with the shotgun, uh, waiting for the leopard in the very dark light. Now, Jim says in the book, and this is a quote, And now the last of the daylight faded of the sky, and the leopard, who did all his human killings in the dark, was in his element, and I was out of mine. For in the dark, a human being is the most helpless of all animals. And speaking for myself, his courage is out his, at his lowest. Wow. And that puts over the danger factor. Yeah. yeah. We can't see at night. Nope. I, Dave, can you see at night? Because I sure as hell can't. Barely see during the day. <laughs> <laughs> so he's in the pitch black night you know you get some moonlight here and there but that's what he's doing so putting over how uh i guess the word is brave if you want to yeah Yeah. he's brave as hell yeah all right yeah jim's got some good quotes and i got an even better one later oh okay so jim he is holding onto some blackthorn shoots as he sits up in the tree well, he feels some tugging on them. Oh, he feels some tugging that nearly throws him off of the tree. He's sitting on the branch and nearly throws him off. Gee. The tugging comes from the man eating leopard of Panar, the one he is after. Wow. The leopard is pulling the shoots. So leopard kind of knows he's there is what I think of it. Yeah. So leopard's pulling on the shoots and uh, Jim has Jim's like, if this leopard climbs the tree, which they are extremely good at doing, uh, he has no chance of defending himself because his back is towards it. 
Oh, geez. He's just looking at the open area, hoping for a shot if the leopard comes in sight in the pitch black night. So, uh, not having anything else, so uh, the leopard shakes, you know, the, the, the branches, and so Jim doesn't have anything to hold on to now. And if the leopard decided to come up the tree, it could easily knock him to the ground at the very least. So after a nerve wracking period of silence, the leopard uh, turns its attention now to that goat. The leopard dashes towards the goat. And it's like I said, it's really black night. Uh, Jim could not save the goat from being attacked by the leopard, right? Uh-huh. Leopard, so the leopard is literally, you know, I don't know how many yards away, but Jim knows what's going on. The tied-up goat is being attacked right now by the leopard. Okay. Now, the goat, uh, the goat is white, giving Jim an indistinct blur. You know, you're in the okay. middle of the night, you have an indistinct blur. So he waited until the leopard had the goat and was being killed. And then, then he aimed with the little bit of white blur that he saw, press the trigger. Okay. His shot was greeted with an angry grunt and he saw a white flash as the leopard ran and disappeared down a high bank into the bush beyond. Wow. Does everything add up? Yeah. So you can draw a picture with that? Uh-huh. Okay. Just making sure. So, uh, he shot the leopard. He got a shot off, hit the leopard. Is He did hit okay. the leopard. Okay. With his shotgun from, I don't know how many yards away, but he was able to uh, distinguish his shot from when the goat got attacked, seeing a very oh. light white blur you could say that makes sense yeah that's okay. yeah that's crazy yeah so he's so he could see where the goat was and then he would see if the leopard got in the way of that goat yes determine and that's he when be. he shot wow that's crazy that is crazy so he took a shot leopard ran off left the goat so for 10 or 15 minutes, he listened for any further sounds from the leopard. So he just sat there for about another 15 minutes. Like, did the leopard get hit? He doesn't know at this moment. Okay. So now he hears his men from back from the village, which isn't far away, asking if they should come over. Uh, Jim thinks it's reasonably safe now. So Jim uh, says, light some torches. Uh, and come on over. Yeah. So torches at this time in rural India in 1910 is the only light you could get in. There's no electricity. So torches are the only source of light in the nighttime. Makes sense. Yeah. So after about 20 men show up with torches, they help Jim out of the tree, which apparently was a task, (laughs) but, uh, (laughs) Jim took some time to gather himself after sitting in that position for a long time, you know, oh. stretch out, have a cigarette, do what you do. And then so the men, they pass around uh, cigarettes for everyone. And Jim tells them that he thinks that the the leopard is wounded. 
He does not know to the extent. And Jim says that they will go looking for the leopard in the morning. Okay. Well, this didn't sit that well with the villagers. They were oh. disappointed by this. And, and you have to put yourself in their position. Remember, these particular men and in, in these villages have been terrorized by this leopard for years. Yeah. And they say the leopard this is the devil we you know if you put it in that context so they yeah. want it they're like if we got a chance let's go get it right now so they think that the leopard might be dead by now you know he, he hit it yeah. uh and there they say there are many of us you have a gun so let's go find this leopard and pitch black night yeah at least and they say at least at least let us go to the edge of the brushwood to see if it has a blood trail. Yeah. And so they convinced Jim to do this, uh, against his better judgment. Jim agrees to go to the edge of the brushwood. Okay. Now Jim looks at the men and he's, he makes them promise that they would all walk in a single line behind him, holding up their torches. However, he said, if the leopard charges, I promise that you will not run away. Oh, wow. They all promised very, very willingly. Okay. okay. So, man, uh, Jim in the front of the line has got about 20 people deep, all with torches. So he's got some light, right? Uh huh. And they're all approaching this brushwood uh, that they are, that is known to be where the leopard eats its kills. Now, they replenish their torches and they begin walking to the edge of the brushwood. All are about five yards from each other with Jim in front with his shotgun. Okay. I hope he reloaded. I don't know <laughs> for sure. I'm sure he reloaded. <laughs> so Jim slowly approaches, the torches providing enough light. And then, when only a narrow strip remained in the shadows, the leopard, with angry grunts, springs up into full view and charges at Jim. Oh boy! So yeah, yeah, that promise all the uh, all the men gave that they wouldn't run away. Uh huh. Yeah, most of them ran away. <laughs> just like the four foot six guy. Oh yeah, don't yeah. worry about it. <laughs> yeah, most <laughs> of them broke, uh, and and it when when uh, as soon as they saw the leopard in full view, they broke. Oh, Jim actually says he wasn't surprised at this <laughs> for they were unarmed. Yeah. But remember, okay, so this I, I said at the beginning, remember in the beginning of the story when Jim said that he was only successful only for luck. Uh huh. Well, this must have been the luck he was referring to. When the men bolted, when seeing this leopard, couple of them dropped their torches and the begin the burning torch gave Jim just enough light to see the leopard charging at him oh so imagine goodness. bunch of men dropping their torches behind you you got your double barrel shotgun and all right but you can't see and they drop the torch and you can see very little well, Jim was able to see enough 
that when the leopard charged at him, he was able to shoot the leopard in the chest. Oh, wow. So he's using a shotgun, remember, with big slugs. Uh, Perfect for this situation. Well, the shot hits. And the leopard dies. The leopard, with its reign of terror that killed over 400 individual humans, the second most of all time, its reign of terror is now finally over. Wow. So. All the fleeing men after the shot, you know, they like, oh, so they kind of turn back all slowly. And Jim actually hears one of the men saying, and he said, like, will he be mad at us (laughs) for turning tail and not doing what exactly what he's what the uh, experienced sportsman who's killed man eaters before said yeah he, he actually wasn't jim was not upset at them and he admits and this is in his book he was if he was in their situation unarmed he would have done the same thing mm. so jim tells them to go and get some he's probably still kind of pissed though at the time <laughs> all right, right like yeah so jim uh tells them to go and get some rope and a bamboo pole and so that they can tie the leopard up and take it back to the village. Right. Yeah. Now this is probably my favorite quote that he, Jim Corbett may have ever said It's like the most British stereotype Jim Corbett thing you could think of. All right. So, so he tells, you know, he's like, okay. In a quote, he says, well, he's trying to get them to go in and get the rope and the bamboo pole. So he says, uh-huh. and I quote, go and fetch them for I want to get back to the village for a hot cup of tea. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that is the most Jim Corbett thing I could possibly think of. I must make it back by tea time. <laughs> yes. Uh, that, that adds to him. Like, I love that quote. I don't know why. Nice. Uh, go and f- go and fetch them for I want to get back to the village for a cup of tea. <laughs> that's what i think of but yet that yes. is a quote from his book so that is what he told them to do nice. uh yeah hell yeah the that, it's one of my favorite quotes he's ever said this is very old-timey british i love it yeah all right so uh he has successfully killed the man-eating leopard of panar uh to end the story jim also says that night for the first time in years the people of Sunuli slept and continued to sleep free from fear. Nice. Pretty it's also a, a dope quote. Yeah, pretty much. A, and they lived happily ever after. You know? Kind of uh, great stuff. And that is the end of Jim Corbett's hunt for the man eating leopard of Panar. Now, Dave, I do have some additional information. So that everything that I've covered is straight from Jim's stories right okay great story man-eating leopard charging at you hell yeah that's not the first time he's had that he's had man-eating tigers charge at him like that too yeah yeah or go back and look listen to our jim corbett stories they're awesome anyway so i have some additional information uh i said i would tell you why this leopard became a man-eater well this leopard so okay let me pause myself so um jim never got into the context of how big this leopard was or any of its um, 
attributes. Does that make sense? Yeah. So uh, my belief is that these people, the villagers were so um, into it being dead that they burned it really quickly and not oh. given Jim uh, sufficient, which makes sense on their part. They're, you know, they're superstitious. They, and uh, it, it, just, it just makes sense. So Jim was never able to measure or give the takes of this leopard. Okay. So I just want that to be clear. Uh, but the main theory is around or why this leopard became a man eater. The main theory is that around this time period in India, there were several epidemics, uh, specifically cholera. Okay. Which is not something you want, but I'm pretty sure we vaxxed that out nowadays. Anyway, um, uh, it really devastated the area. Cholera is be- not good. It's bad. And so it really cleaned house with a lot of villages. A lot of people died. So, so many people died from it that they couldn't even do proper burials for them. And, you know, the Hindus are, uh, the Hindus do a lot of specific burials sometimes, like, uh, Send them on the rivers, uh, uh-huh. light them on fire. Uh, they weren't even there was there was so much death that they weren't able to do that. It was just overwhelming. So okay. sometimes, honestly, the, what they would do with the dead, diseased bodies is they would just throw them off a cliff. Okay, something like that. And so, well, a leopard runs into some uh, salty. What we talked about, salty humans, salty human blood. I don't know if the saltiness comes as a factor or not. That's something I've recently (laughs) discovered, but it makes sense. So uh, a leopard, probably it was a young leopard at this time, uh, sees the bodies and uh, eats them. Eats the, it's an easy free meal. Okay. So the theory is that the leopard feasted on the dead corpses. Then after the cholera outbreak, broke and there weren't the dead bodies to now eat the leopard had de- already developed a taste for human flesh and continued to eat until it ate and killed 400 people wow is this is this theory true i don't know i cannot confirm it i cannot even confirm the 400 kills as it was not written by the government records and jim say states that himself however if jim kind of pushes it to be 400 i'm gonna go with jim yeah yeah we we trust jim trust jim yeah we trust jim he has he's really he's just so cool we we gotta believe him yeah yeah, but really, um, we believe Jim and all the other sources have said something similar. Uh, so that is Dave. That is Jim Corbett. Another Jim Corbett adventure. His hunt for the Panar man eating leopard. Second of all time, baby, with 400 kills. That is going to wrap up the story. Wow. Dave, I hope you and all the listeners enjoyed that story. I know I certainly did. I enjoyed researching it, and I always enjoy sharing it with everyone. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, all the Jim Corbett's are good. All the Jim Corbett's are good. So I already stated uh, where they're found on our episode list. I'll leave it in the description below. So if you want to learn more about Jim Corbett, it's not Corbett. It's Corbett, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's that's how we're going to do it. 
Yeah. And Dave, if the listeners enjoyed the show, what is something they can do for us? Go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to. Subscribe, rate, review. Give us five stars. Say something you like about the show. It really helps us gain more attention, gain more listeners. If you'd really like to help us out, why don't you leap up onto PayPal or Venmo and send a little monetary donation. Help us get some uh, faux leather-skinned wallets, you know, for our time here. <laughs> oh, that's one, always my favorite. Dave always ad-libs that stuff, so it's always funny. <laughs> All right, so Dave, we have a sh- uh, shout out to give. Oh, right on. We want to thank a mother and daughter combo. We want to thank Liddy, who is only seven years old, as well as her mother, Shayla. Uh, they ordered some shirts. I really hope you guys enjoy the shirts, and we got you some stickers. Uh, Chitor and Dante say what up to. Right on. <laughs> Hell yeah. So thank you, Liddy. That's cool. Liddy and Shayla. I have learned that um, our show is actually really good for, you know, it's good for kids, but uh, uh, adults like it, too. So it's yeah. uh, good if you want a entertaining show to show your kids while you're on a drive or an hour long drive ish. Put us on, man. That's the people like it. And yeah. so I've I, even people that I know, they said that they listen to it and then they a friend of mine, she told me that her and her uh, kids would listen to it and then they go back and they have family dinner together and they all talked about the animal stuff that they learned. And then another kid learn, um, uh, would bring back home, bring back home uh, books all about animals so he can read and he was having trouble reading. So that's maybe maybe that's our market there, Dave. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. So we really appreciate it. And remember yeah. to get your Force of Nature T-shirts and stickers. I'll still send you some free stickers. Um, so that's fine with me. And to order yeah. a shirt or uh, you're going to pay for the shirt, but <laughs> <laughs> the sticker, I'll send you some stickers free. Uh, even if you just want stickers, just say you want stickers. I'll send them to you for free. Uh, we just sent some to Australia too. So. And that's cool. Yeah. So uh, if you if you would like to order a shirt, our shirts are cool, are super cool, too. And we're looking to make a couple of new ones. I, honestly, we're going to make a couple Jim Corbett shirts. That'll be awesome. Yeah. Hell yeah. That's going to be so cool. I'm, I'm super yeah. stoked. I want like a cartoonish, but cool Jim Corbett. You know, yeah. so if anybody, uh, if we have any artists in the that are listening. If you want to send us some Jim Corbett ideas for a shirt, please send them. We'll be happy to look at them. So I want a Jim Corbett shirt, Dave, do you? Yeah. Oh yeah. We could do one that says I came here to drink tea and kill (laughs) man eating tigers. And I'm all out of man eating tigers. (laughs) (laughs) That would be so good. Yeah. We got to go with that last quote. He said, huh? Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. All right. Well, yeah, in order in uh, order to do that, just uh, DM us on our Facebook or Instagram or email and we will get right with you. Uh, the shirts are really sweet and so are the stickers. So uh, if you order a shirt, we'll give you free stickers. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. Uh, Dave, at this point, I guess we got to check in with Sheetor and Dante. OK. <laughs> Matt, go fetch my leather jacket for I want to get back for a hot cup of tea. <laughs> Cheetor, Dave is Cheetor British. Um, has he been British this whole time? <laughs> he might be. 
that? That actually makes a lot of sense. All right, well, how about <laughs> you, Dante? Heck yeah, man. I love me some Jim Corbett stories. He's a really cool cat. <laughs> well, and uh, Dante is doing Dave-style Dave puns now, I guess. That's my boy, Dante. <laughs> it might be like you do the voice for him or something. <laughs> no, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Dave, I enjoyed the show. Is there anything else you add? Uh, do you have a new book or anything you want to plug? No, I still got it's just same one. Uh, the the Red Riding Hood is out uh, by G. Lawrence. Um, get it on Audible. Uh, it's the audio book that I narrated, or you can go on to get the Kindle version on uh, Amazon. Yep. But that's about it. Are we giving any free away? Yeah, I've got one more. You can still if you guys if somebody wants a, an audio book of it, uh, hit me up. So let's code. let's tell them to uh, DM us or email us. Say you want Dave's book, and we'll give it to them. Right? Yep. Okay. Yep. Well, first one comes right. Yep. And Dave's Dave's actually guys. I can't tell you enough how Dave is really good at doing his auto. He's really doing good at doing characters. His books are awesome. And if you want to hear Dave swear, listen to a couple of his <laughs> Star Cluster 66 was all awesome. it was like um, it was like Guardians of the Galaxy, but rated R and Dave doing all the voices for the characters. Nice. That's right? a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So go check out Star Cluster 66 and the new one. Go again. The Red The Red Riding Hood. Yeah. What is it about? Uh it's, quick, it's an, just it's, real quick. Yeah, it's kind of an overtakes the uh, or a big grandized version that's uh gets completely different than the Red Riding story, but using kind of similar things from it, but uh the Red Riding Hood for Red Riding Hood. Hell yeah, that yeah, sounds called, dope. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. So uh, first person to message us gets the free version of Dave's new audiobook. Yep. Uh, Dave, other than that, you got anything? No, that's it. All right. Well, this is Force of Nature Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Tell your friends. Be a part of building us up. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.